0: Hello, Never Lick the Spooners, you join me in rural Ireland where I've been ensconced since before the Christmas break, and I thought I'd start this episode by bringing you some of the sounds from the countryside, just to make all you city folk jealous. In more exciting news, and in a location even more remote than rural Ireland, although some might debate that, this week we had the landing of the Mars Rover. And this made me think all the way back to episode 6 where we interviewed Joby Hollis, who you might remember is a NASA researcher who could be one of the first people to get their hands on some of the juicy data being beamed back from the Mars rover once it finds time between taking all those great pictures of the Martian landscape. So we'll definitely try and get Joby back in the pod in the near future to give us a progress update and if he's found life on Mars yet, no pressure. It's well worth a listen to give you some idea of what the Mars rover is actually doing on Mars. But anyway, let's move on with this episode. And indeed, we are back with the first of a two-part special series on something that could be strapped to your wrist, fingers, or head at this very moment. You could even be listening to my voice through one in your ear. It's wearable technology. Now these days, when you think of tech that you can wear, your mind probably jumps to a Fitbit or Apple Watch. And just to show how lucrative this industry has become, for the likes of Apple at least, the Apple Watch sold a third more watches than the entire Swiss watch industry last year. So it puts all things in perspective. And if you look at the latest watches, they can measure everything from your pulse, but also the latest Apple Watch 6 series can measure oxygen in your blood. Why you would even want to measure this will be discussed later. Now over the two episodes, I'm really excited to be joined by four experts that all look at wearable tech from completely different perspectives. In part one, we will look at the cool and positive developments wearable tech could and indeed is bringing. Up first, I'm delighted to say, is a returning guest, Ali Edison, who all the way back in the very first episode, told us about his clever tattoos that could change color. First off, Ali started with a trip down memory lane.
1: It's good to be back. So we've seen the uh, this type of wearable devices in the in, in the 1970s uh some of you may recall that in in earlier days there were uh, some smart Casio watches uh and they were the pioneers in in the field for example you could do uh, calculations you could uh, record your voice and or or for example control your TV remotely and things like that so
0: yeah I forgot about the Casio watch that recorded your voice yeah that was that was so cool in the 90s wasn't it Indeed. Um,
1: and, and, and from that point on, uh, wearable devices have uh, gone under a significant sort of evolution. So we are talking about uh, adding new parameters, including the optical sensors. We have now the uh, wireless connection, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, and all these connectivity options, uh, along with the advances in terms of computational sort of power, new CPUs, or we can transmit data wirelessly over Bluetooth or even 5G. So uh, this allows us to send significant amount of data to uh, centralised facilities uh, in, you know,
0: where the data can be uh, analysed and computed. One of the main obvious benefits that wearable tech promises is in healthcare. My second expert guest is Damien Ming. He's a clinical research fellow in the Department of Infectious Diseases at Imperial College. Damien is someone who's been looking at wearable tech for a while and he began by giving me an interesting example of how wearable tech is already having an impact on public Definitely.
2: health. Um, a big study published in January 2020 which uses uh, data from a device called Fitbit. Now, what the Fitbit does is it, it measures your um, pulse level. So it measures your resting pulse rate. And what they did is that they anomalised a huge section of Americans who had a Fitbit and used their data and what they show is that in general in areas where there are infections like influenza or uh, other viral diseases, the resting heart rate tends to be higher in those pockets compared to other pockets where there are lower areas of influenza-like illness and this this is really incredible um, because It uses just one really straightforward, simple parameter on an aggregated level. And the implications are that if you know that, in general, people's resting heart rate are higher in certain pockets, you may be able to infer that something is going on.
0: Right now, considering what's happening with our public health service, it's impossible not to think of how wearable tech could be useful during the COVID-19 pandemic. Could a wearable device tell you if you were infected?
1: Recently, there have been significant pro, uh, progress in the, uh, in the sort of development of wearable devices for COVID-19 detection, uh, in particularly focusing on a biophysical signal detection. For example, the temperature or the movement of the human body uh, can, be, uh, can be sort of analyzed uh, in combination with machine learning and artificial intelligence methods to, uh, to, to provide clues whether the person has an active Uh, active COVID-19 infection.
0: Has that been proved reliable though? You know several months ago if you went into a bar or restaurant chances are there was somebody there with a little temperature gun taking your measurements. Is that a reliable way to determine whether you've got a cold or a flu as opposed to COVID-19?
1: Yeah so at the moment we are not a, able to distinguish between an, an an active flu and covid-19 using this type of hand uh, hand hand uh, sort of temperature guns uh, but one of the advantages of wearables is that they can do real-time measurements meaning that uh, we can monitor the, the data and uh, maybe a temperature, biophysical data or, uh, or a biomarker data in real time for long periods of time. So we can extract specific signatures of diseases uh, using uh, this type of wearable devices.
0: Not only can they give good continuous measurements, it turns out that the latest devices, such as the sixth edition of the Apple Watch, is blurring the lines between previous wearable devices that really only gave you a telling off for not walking as much and a full-on medical device.
2: Covid is is one of the things where potentially it, it could give, um, wearables could give a really useful um, you know aspect to managing patients. So for example, um, in hospital, um, one of the most reliable technologies that we have in healthcare is, is something called PPG, uh, photoplasmography, which measures the oxygen level in your blood and wearables are really well suited to have this technology inbuilt in smartwatches. So if, if you go to the shop and you get the latest Apple Watch or the Fitbit, they, they all have PPGN. They, they measure pulse oximetry, they measure oxygen. So one of the main things is that you know, well, COVID gives you a severe pneumonia uh, and it affects your oxygen level. So if everyone on the wards had a small wearable that could pick up their oxygen in a continuous fashion, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. So
0: how do you go about measuring oxygen in the body? Here's Ali again.
1: So this is a key signature, and it's one of the key parameters uh, that are used to monitor uh, patients, for example, in the ICU units. So this type of uh, wearable devices, they consist of a, an, an LED light. So uh, LED light is, uh, is sort of propagated in terms of pulses, in the form of pulses to your skin, and the reflected signal Uh, is collected through a photodiode uh, meaning that we can collect uh, pulsed uh, LED light information in this case reflected light and this can provide us uh, a means uh, to compute this data and we can correlate that with the blood
0: oxygenation. Something we'll come back to in the next episode but I was interested to ask these researchers who actually push the boundaries on these things is what they think of the privacy implications of their devices. Are they nervous of what happens to all their data? Ali's response was somewhat sobering.
1: Indeed, this is a very interesting discussion. Uh, in fact, today, the variable data that um, that has been transmitted uh, throughout the world is used by insurance companies and for marketing purposes. Uh, so in the future, I don't think that there will be a significant significant way to limit this. So this applies to many other sort of online product that we have. So the main sort of reason why this data is collected is twofold. The first one is that the manufacturers, they need constant feedback, whether their device is functioning properly. So they will need to collect constant data from this type of devices. The second reason is mainly focused on the innovation of this type of products. So, what can we uh, do with this sort of large data? And insurance companies, for example, uh, in the United States, they have been utilizing this type of uh, variable data to incentivize the workouts among their, um, you know, among certain individuals. In fact, they can be also used for marketing purposes, and and more and more companies are employing that. Uh, whenever you run your Fitbit device or any of your Uh, Apple product, your data is
0: is sold to many third-party companies at the moment. So a nice income for wearable tech companies. But back to the positive aspects of what the future could bring, and what both researchers are working on now. Damien is particularly interested in using the technology to monitor dengue fever, a mosquito-borne tropical disease that claimed the lives of over 4 million people in 2019. What we're
2: doing is that we're developing our own wearable so the wearable is based again on ppg it measures your pulse and your pulse waveform but it it does more than that it looks at very high and low wavelengths of ppg so it both measures oxygen levels but we also think that it can measure something called hematocrit which is the blood content We're really making the device from ground up it's got a finger probe it's got a wrist probe um, and what we're planning in the next stages over the next few months in june july is that we want to test this device in patients with dengue so people come in with dengue and what we want to do is we want to make sure that the device captures the important waveforms and we want to see what the relationship between these waveforms and outcomes are and down the line the idea the ultimate idea is that we make smartwatches of these wearables so um, At the moment, what happens in dengue is that people come in and usually they're quite well and they go home and you have massive, massive demand in L patients. But if you have the device that you can give to the patient to say, look, you have dengue, but if you stay at home, this device will look after you. And if you develop any complications, the device will warn you uh, for you to come back for medical attention. And I think that this could make a big impact in how we manage dengue and it also gives the patient you know involvement in their care as well which is very important
0: and i'm sure we all wish damien and his team all the best in their research now i'm sure many of you will be thinking that we can't leave ali go without inquiring on his fantastic smart tattoos so how have they come along in the last two years
1: One of the technologies that we introduced is that uh, we can monitor, for example, the concentrations of electrolytes uh, in the form of tattoos now. This allows us to monitor uh, the exercise condition of an individual or an
0: athlete uh, as they're exercising in real time. And the idea that Usain Bolt could rely on his vital stats from his very fashionable tattoo, I can see it. And there's even more that Ali, or the Willy Wonka of wearable tech, has been developing.
1: So these are uh, commercial contact lenses which have been modified uh, with uh, special functionalized groups that allows us to monitor uh, specific biomarkers in tear film. Uh, For example, we can monitor uh, hormones, we can monitor proteins, and even DNA and
0: RNA uh, in tear film using these contact lenses. The final word goes to Damien, who gives a very compelling reason for why wearable tech could significantly benefit our lives. As a clinician,
2: I think the idea that, A, you can see how a patient is, you know, their, their physiological state continuously is incredibly, incredibly helpful. A lot of people, for example, from my experience, do stay at home when they're really sick, really ill, and they come in, you know, not too late, but they, they could have come in earlier and you could have done a lot for them earlier. So if we had, a magical device that could pick that up and say, look, you're not too well, you should come to hospital early on. I think it's going to be amazing for public health.
0: And that's a nice positive note to end on, isn't it? Well, my thanks to Ali Edison and Damien Ming for speaking with me. Join us next time when we take a look at the dark underbelly of all these developments and what they mean. What are the privacy implications to companies knowing more about our medical records than perhaps we do ourselves? and how regulators need to up their game. So look out for that when it arrives wherever you find this episode. And that's it for me and the birds. We'll be back very soon when I'll be back in London town. But until then, always remember, never lick the spoon.